my, my. Let's stand and be dismissed. <laughs> my, what a great song. Hey, it's great to see you, man. Good to work with you again. Love you too. If you have your Bibles tonight, turn me to Luke chapter 9. Gospel of Luke chapter 9. Thank you for being here. It's a good group on this Sunday night. Delighted to see you. Jesus has sent the disciples out. They have been ministering. He has given them authority to do great works, to heal people. Uh, A multitude of things have been happening in their lives, and now they have returned to give a report to Jesus. And we pick up the story in Luke chapter 9, verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, Send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Because we are in a remote place here. He replied, You give them something to eat. They answered, We only have five loaves of bread and two fish, unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so. And everyone sat down taking the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketsfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Well, Father, our hearts have been thrilled tonight as we've sung the great old camp meeting songs. We're so thankful that love did lift us and that you are alive. And we are thankful for the hope that lies within us that one of these days, if we are faithful, we will step inside the city that has been prepared for us. I thank you for the music. I thank you for the congregation here tonight. And I believe that you want to show us something. So I pray, Heavenly Father, that through the power of the Holy Spirit, illuminating the Word of God, that we would take the Word and apply it to ourselves personally tonight. Come, Holy Spirit. I ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. The subject of the message tonight is not new to any of us. For quite simply, it is the subject of problems. Problems. It's interesting how many problems we have from day to day. If I were to ask everyone in this place who has problems to raise your hand, I'm sure that most all of us would immediately raise our hand because there is no one in this place that has not, to, has not had to encounter some kind of problem in your life. Problems are a common experience for every one of us. 
They seemingly are just the way of life. We live in a broken world, and so we're going to experience problems. Have you ever wondered how much time you would have on your hands if you didn't have to solve all your problems? You could just be so creative. You could do so much more with your life if you didn't have to spend time solving problems. But there they are. Every time you turn around, you get one problem solved, and then there is another problem that you have to solve as well. So most of us have come to terms with the fact that problems are just a way of life. As a matter of fact, we've accepted it to the degree that we walk into the tabernacle here tonight, and we walk up to someone that we've not seen for a while, and we'll say, well, how are you doing? And they will respond, fine, how are you? But if they were really honest... They would probably respond to, how are you, with, you don't want to know. And besides all of that, if I told you how I really am, it would get into the service time and into the preacher's time. So rather than going into detail about what is going on in our lives, we just simply says, I'm fine. Hope you are as well. But I've discovered When it comes to problems, they have a way of heaping themselves upon one another. And sometimes we just can't shake ourselves loose from the problems that we encounter in life and from their demoralizing effects. Well, I want you to know tonight you don't have to feel alone if that's the case with you because I go to the Word of God and I find David in Psalm 73. He asked this very poignant question. He asked, why do The righteous have to suffer. Where is the answer to such a question as that? Why do the people of God have to suffer? It seems like God being a loving God and loving us the way that He does, that He would remove from our lives all the suffering that we might encounter throughout our lifetime. Where do you find an answer to the question Why do the righteous have to suffer? Well, oddly enough, I think that you can find the answer to a New Testament event that we read in your hearing just a moment ago, the feeding of the 5,000. It's probably one of the most familiar miracles in all of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And you say, well, now wait a minute, Lane. You're telling me that in the story of the feeding of the 5,000 that there is the answer to why the righteous have to suffer. Well, Lane, I read that along with you, and I see no connection whatsoever as to why I have problems. Well, I want you to focus in on a particular verse tonight. I want you to look at Luke chapter 9, verse 16. And notice what it says again. Jesus, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. That's the verse I want us to concentrate on this evening. As a matter of fact, I want us to do it so thoroughly that we can actually inject ourselves into this event and the life of Jesus and his disciples. As a matter of fact, I would like for you to just push out of your mind all that you're going to do after the service, what's going on before the service, and I want you to just transport your imagination back in time and I want you to so inject yourself into the story that you're willing to actually play a part in the story. Would you do it? Are you willing 
Let's take the time to really get hold of the story. Here you are. In the midst of a teeming multitude of people. 5,000 men plus women and children. The crowds have been hounding Jesus. They've been following everywhere he goes. It seems that he gathers a crowd around him. Great things have been happening. Jesus has been touching lives physically. He's been ministering incredible truths to the multitudes as they have come to listen to what he has had to say. Now, I want you to fit yourself into the event. I want you to see it firsthand, first person. I want you to play a part. What part would you like to play? How about being a part of the multitude? Oh, we could do that, couldn't we? I mean, we're pretty good at blending in. We're pretty good at just kind of going with the flow, following the crowd, going where they go, hearing what they hear, doing what the crowd does. That would be the easy part to play in this story of the feeding of the 5,000. People come to church every Sunday and do that. They just kind of blend in with the crowd and their lives are not really changed, not really affected by what is going on. They're just there, just hanging out with the crowd. I don't think I want to be a part of this crowd. Because it will not be long until many of this same crowd will cry for the death of Jesus. Crucify him! Crucify him! Well, if not a part of the crowd, the multitude, why don't you play the part of Jesus? Just play the part of Jesus in this story. Well, I don't know about you, but when I contemplate that, I really don't feel quite adequate to play the part. The part of Jesus. All right. If not a part of the multitude, if not the part of Jesus, what about one of the disciples? Let's just be one of the disciples. I don't know which part you could play. Maybe you're of the skeptical breed. Maybe you could be Thomas. Perhaps you could be one that loved Jesus like John. He was the beloved disciple. Maybe you've got a big mouth and you could play the part of Peter. What part would you like to play? I've often thought when I read the lives of the disciples in those three and a half years that they followed Jesus, I've often thought I could have been a better disciple than them. I mean, look at these guys. They're always wanting the upper place, the higher place. They're the ones that just seem to be there and and they want things for themselves. They wanted Jesus to be the king of the Jews, not in the spiritual sense, sense, but in the political and military sense. And it seems like I could have known better that Jesus was going to do more than just be some kind of hierarchy, some kind of monarchy. He would be more than that. I think I could have been a better disciple. But I don't want to be one of these disciples. Because these disciples, according to Scripture, every one of them, when the pressure's on, when the squeeze is there, they run. They cower behind a closed door in a downtown motel room in Jerusalem. Well, if not a part of the crowd, if not Jesus, if not one of the disciples, what part would you play? What part? Well, if you have the courage, if you have imagination enough, here's the part I'd like for you to play. I'd like for you to play 
a loaf of bread. As a matter of fact, I would like for you to play this part so completely that you can actually inject your name into verse 16 here of the Gospel of Luke. Let's give it a try. Uh, Let's see what it says again. Taking your name and the two fish, Jesus lifted his eyes toward heaven, gave thanks, and broke your name. He then gave your name to the disciples to set before the people. Let's give it some life. I'll use my name this time. Taking Lane Loman and the two fish, Jesus lifted his eyes toward heaven, gave thanks, and broke Lane Loman. He then gave Lane Loman to the disciples to set before the people. Stretch your imagination now. You're a loaf of bread. You had your beginning in a Galilean kitchen. You started out as a raw piece of dough. Early that morning, before sunrise perhaps, the lady of the house took the dough that she had been building with some yeast and she began to knead that dough, began to punch you around. It's very uncomfortable. She began to punch you around and shape you and, and mold you and Finally, she had you at just the right size that she wanted you. And then she took you along with several other loaves of bread that she had punched and kneaded for a while and got them shaped in the appropriate size. And then she took all of you and put you on this great big spatula. And then she slid you in to this oven. And then for the next hour or so, you feel this bombarding pressure of the heat of this oven. uh, And you think to yourself, when is this going to be over? Uh, This is unbelievable. Uh, I can't believe it. I've been punched. I've been kneaded. uh, And now I'm going to be burned to a crisp. Uh, But before you're burned, uh, it seems like at the very exact moment uh, that wooden spatula comes sliding under your bottom side uh, and she pulls you out of the oven uh, and sets you over on the table over here uh, and she takes a little cloth doily and places over top of you so the flies won't crawl all over you uh, and you're just sitting there and you breathe a sigh of relief my I'm glad we've finally gotten to the cooling down process And, and so you're just there on the table minding your own business And then there is the din, the noise of a crowd that passes by. And then you hear the footsteps of a little lad. Comes running into the kitchen and he says, Mom, you can hear him. Mom, Mom, you remember we've heard about that man Jesus? Why the crowd is following him. Mom, Mom, could I go? Could I go? I'll be back before dark. Could I go? I want to hear what he has to say. And she says, all right, all right, but you're going to have to be careful. There's a lot of people out there. You just take good care. And so he starts out the door and she says, wait a minute before you go. It'll probably be a long afternoon. You're going to get hungry. And she comes over to the table and she grabs you and four of your companions and takes you and puts you into this leather satchel and then she takes something from over here and she puts it in the satchel as well and you wonder what is that and then you kind of get settled in the satchel you're trying to find a comfortable position and then you find yourself being hung on the waist of this little energetic boy and he bounds out of the kitchen and down the road he goes following the crowd after Jesus and you think to yourself 
What a life. I can't believe this is happening to me. Uh, You're crowded in this little leather satchel. uh, And then there is this odor that begins to punctuate the air. uh, And you wonder what's going on here. Uh, And then you look around uh, and you're staring into the eyes of two dead smelly fish. And you say, oh, destined for misery the rest of my life. Uh, This is unbelievable. Uh, And then uh, as the crowd begins to come to a halt, the little boy stops as well. He finds a comfortable place in the crowd. Jesus begins to speak. Words flow from his mouth. Life-changing words. It's unbelievable. And then he stops. And all of a sudden, you feel a pair of hands lift you out of the little leather satchel. You find yourself, along with your other traveling companions, being passed from one pair of hands to another. And all of a sudden, you're in the hands of the Master. And taking Lane Loman, he lifted his eyes toward the heavens And he gave thanks. All of a sudden, you, your life, has been surrounded by this incredible business of praise. Praise from none other than the Son of God himself. What a dynamic image this is. Praise. And I come to the conclusion in my own life, if I am in the hands of Jesus and I have given him complete control of my life, then praise ought to be the natural outflow of who I am. Praise should be something that comes out of my life. The Word of God says that He loves for His people to praise Him. And praise ought to be our lifestyle. And if there is anything that should characterize the life of the Christian, it should be praise and thanksgiving. It should be the natural expression of what He has done inside of us. But I don't mind telling you tonight, at the risk of sounding just a bit negative, in view of all of the social media, that I read today, uh, we are a, a crowd of people, even in the Christian arena, that is very good at complaining. Very good at voicing our opinion. But when you boil it all down and you begin to assess our lives as the people of God, I, I can't complain a whole lot. I don't know about you, but I... I would be wrong. Somebody comes up to me and says, well, how are things going with you, Lane, and the ministry? My immediate response is, it would be wrong if I complained. After God has done so much for me, after He has done so much for us, How can we complain? Praise ought to be something that is natural from the child of God. You see, something happens when praise comes out of our lips. Something happens around us when people hear the name of Jesus praised. You say, well, Lane, that's pretty good preacher talk tonight. Easy enough for you to say that. 
But you don't know what's going on in my life. And you're exactly right. I don't know what's going on in your life, young person. I don't know what you're going to have to face when you go home after this camp is over. I don't know what you have to do, mom and dad, when you go on that job tomorrow or when you have to deal with that family situation that you have to deal with. I don't know anything about that, but I do know this. I look into the pages of the New Testament and I see men and women who suffered greater than you and I will ever suffer. And as they suffered, the thing that was characteristic of them was not complaint, but it was praise. Praise. I see. I see Paul and Silas in a Philippian jail. They've come to Macedonia. They've come to proclaim the gospel message and they've been arrested because they cast the demon out of a young damsel who was making money for some of the city leaders. In the midnight hour, they're there in the jail cell. What are they doing? Oh God, can't believe you allowed this to happen to us. We're in the jail. Why couldn't we be in the Holiday Inn? Why couldn't we be someplace better? Uh, we're doing this for you and you allow this to happen to us. No, no. They're there in the midnight hour uh, and they begin to praise the name of Jesus Christ. And somebody suggested that they praise the name of Jesus so loudly that it blessed the heart of God so much that he said amen so loud uh, that it shook the foundation of the prison uh, and the doors fell off of their hinges and Paul and Silas were free to make their escape. But instead of making their escape, they stayed and ministered to that jailer and his entire family and brought them into the kingdom of God. Why? Because they praised the name of Jesus. The Apostle Paul said that he had even resisted unto blood. He had his back bleed for the cause of the kingdom. I've never had my back bleed for the kingdom of you. Paul could pull off his shirt and show you the marks. I can't do that. After all he's done for me, after all he's provided for me, what could I do but praise him? Now understand tonight I am not suggesting that you and I praise him for tragedy. That's nonsensical. It, it rings with some kind of warped idea that somehow God is going to make something bad happen and out of making something bad happen, He's going to bring honor and glory to His name. I don't believe that. I don't believe that God causes bad things to happen. About a year ago, month of June, 2015, I got a phone call from my son, Winston. Winston said, Dad, did you hear about Lee Rickman? Lee Rickman and my son Winston attended Wesleyan Christian Academy together in High Point, North Carolina. They played basketball together. My son Wesley, who's older, actually coached Lee Rickman, that middle school basketball team. Lee Rickman's dad was and is the principal of that wonderful school in High Point, North Carolina, where my son's graduated. Lee Rickman had gone off to college 
received his teaching diploma, come, came back to Westland Academy and was hired on as a teacher. Loved those kids. Everybody loved Lee. Last summer, Lee was one of the faculty of the school that led a group of teenagers to Central America to do mission work. One day on their free day, Lee was standing under a tree for shade in that hot climate, watching over the students as they played and enjoyed the scenery of that beautiful Central American country where they were ministering. And unexplicably, a limb just broke and crashed through that tree and hit Lee Rickman in the side of the head. At the age of 25, Lee Rickman suddenly was ushered into the presence of Jesus. You cannot make me believe that God made that happen. It just happened. Because we live in a crazy world. A broken world. But I do believe Romans 8.28 that says, For we know that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord and to those who are the called according to His purpose in Christ Jesus. And I thank God that even though we may face problems in this life that we do not understand, God will come alongside and He will sustain and He will help and He will encourage. He might not take the problem away, but He will give us everything that we need to keep us in the midst of our problems. And because of that, praise should be the natural expression of those of us who know Jesus Christ. And taking the five loaves, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks. But again, look at the verse. It says, looking up to heaven, he broke them. Remember, you're a loaf of bread. You're in the hands of Jesus. And it says that he broke them. And when I glean from this part of the story and being a loaf of bread, I must realize that the problems of my life that I encounter, and no one is exempt, are tools. Tools, instruments that God will use. God uses the problems of life to teach us that we need Him, that we cannot make it without Him. Have you ever thought of trying to make it without Him? I would not even want to contemplate the thought. Because I learned a long time ago, young people, mom and dad, that I can't make it without Him. I must have Him. Every day of my life, not just on the weekends, not just on Sunday, not just at camp meeting, in a safe environment such as this, I must have Him every day of my life in His book, Crowded to Christ. The author, Howley Maxwell, states this premise of the book. Every circumstance that comes to your life has been permitted by God for one thing, to crowd you to Jesus. 
to crowd you and me to Jesus. And if I were to take a poll tonight of this congregation and ask this question, how many of you have gone through problems and those problems have crowded you to Him? I've known people who have encountered problems of life and the enemy has used the problems to cause them to run from Christ. But those of us who know Christ, we recognize that our dependency is upon Him. Our strength cometh from the Lord. And so when we have these problems, I have discovered in my own life, it pushes me to my knees. It pushes me into the Word of God. It helps me to reestablish the fact that even though I am going through this problem, my God will supply my need. No problem has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tried, tempted, have a problem beyond that which you can stand, but will with every problem make a way of escape so that you can stand up under it. Problems have a way of pushing us to Him. Sometimes I think I know a lot about problems. And I am not here to pull skeletons out of my closet. But I went through something in 1977 that drove me to my knees. I was 30 years old. I thought I could handle anything. At least that was my mindset. And then things began to happen in my life, and I think it was a combination of several things. Turning 30, being on the road constantly from 1971 to 1977 uh, without any discernible break in the schedule. Night after night, Monday through Sunday, sometimes Tuesday through Sunday, preaching, holding revival meetings, and it all began to add up. And one day in Lynette, Alabama, after going to a friend to have some dental work done, I walked into the Holiday Inn in that city, and as I crossed the threshold of that motel room, all of a sudden, my mind began to swirl, my heart began to palpitate, and I realized something desperate was wrong. And for the next nine months, I faced... I lived on the edge of a nervous breakdown. And it was during those days that I was crowded to Him. Thank God with the help of friends and a good doctor, I stand here tonight whole and well. 1995, something happened in my life that I thought would bring an end to what I'm doing here tonight. An end to my ministry for my family literally fell apart around me. And I didn't know how I was going to face another day. And I remembered, I called my mother, who was a saint of God, and prayed and knew how to get hold of the horns of the altar and talk to God. I said, Mom, this is what has happened. I don't know what I'm going to do. And she said this, and I'll never forget it. She said, Son, God knows your load limit. And He will be there. And He was. Problems have a way of pushing us into a deeper, more intimate relationship with Jesus. I would not have made it without Him. So I must ask the question tonight of this congregation, of each of you, how surrendered are you to Him? Are you willing to let Him take you into His hands? And break you, mold you, shape you, 
calls you to be that which He desires you to be. I think many are surrendered, and I don't mean to be negative tonight, but I think that many, many that I encountered, when I pastored, I, I encountered so many people who would say, well, I'm a Christian. But I had to step back and watch their lives. And as a pastor, you're always concerned about your people. And as I looked at their lives, it became very clear and very obvious as I watched their lives and their activities and their habits and their loyalty and their testimony, their witness, it became very obvious. They may profess Christianity, but I wonder about their surrender. Symbol of our faith is a cross. It's not a rocking chair. The symbol of our faith is a cross, a place of death. How surrendered are you? Job is the poster child for suffering. Lost his family, lost all of his belongings. His neighbors came along trying to speculate regarding what had brought him to that state. Elephus, Bildad, and Zophar, they begin to question, well, what have you done to cause this tragedy, this horror to come upon your life? His wife said, why don't you go out there on a pile of ash and curse God and die? And Job said, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Problems. God restored Job twofold. Everything he lost, he, re- he got back. Everything. God restored his faithfulness. Restored him because of his faithfulness. After all he's done, wouldn't you think we would know we can't make it without him? You're a loaf of bread, remember? And taking the five loaves and the two fish and lifting them toward heaven, he gave thanks. Your life should be surrounded by praise and thanksgiving. And then he broke them. We allow him to do whatever he cares to do with us. And then taking the five loaves. He gave them to the disciples to set before the people. We are never set before the people for ministry until we're broken. God's not looking for glitzy heroes. He's looking for people who are willing to position themselves in the hand of Jesus and let him break them. Because when we allow him to break us of our self-centeredness and break us of our selfishness, when we allow ourselves to go and present ourselves, as Romans 12 verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, which is your reasonable service until we're willing for that to happen. God can never use us. 
He'll never set you before the people for ministry until you allow him to break you. Brokenness qualifies us to walk the streets and minister to the needs of people. Something happened to me today. Today. And I'm not going to share this with you to pat Lane on the back. But just to illustrate what I'm talking about. Dan contacted me about a month ago. And he said, on the first Sunday morning of camp, would you preach for me at my church? And I agreed to do that. So this morning he gave... Gave me his car, gave me the keys yesterday. I got the car and I drove to his church this morning. And I ministered to his people. I'd already made up my mind in that the service would be over sometime around 12 o'clock or there, a little thereafter. Rather than rushing back to the camp, I, I would just stop at a local restaurant and get a bite to eat. Which I did. I enjoy that sometimes. Just being by myself, reading a good book. And having a quiet lunch. Just by myself. And I did that today. I came off from my home in Indiana without enough toothpaste. So the proverbial, proverbial ox was in the ditch. I needed toothpaste. So in that the Walmart was right behind the restaurant where I had lunch. I went to the Walmart. I walked into the Walmart, I found the toothpaste, it was rollback Sunday. And I found a tube of my toothpaste on sale. I decided I wanted some Diet Right Cola, I like that particular soft drink. And so I went around to the grocery department and I found a 12-pack of Diet Right Cola. And folks, as God is my witness... I don't say this to make me seem more spiritual than anybody else in the place. But as God is my witness, as I was walking from the soft drink aisle of the Walmart in Wadsworth, Ohio today, as I came down the aisle toward the checkout counters, God spoke into my spirit and he said, find somebody to help today. Find somebody and pay their bill today at Walmart. As sure as I'm talking to you, I felt that in my spirit. I walked up to the self-checkout. I said, can't go there. And right beside the self-checkout area, there were smaller islands with people checking out. And then, of course, there were the regular aisles on further down. And I stood there for a moment and I, I looked and I just watched people checking out. And then I saw her, a lady at one of the smaller islands. There was nobody behind her. That's her. And so I just quietly walked up to the island behind her with my diet right and my toothpaste. And I watched her. She had already had most of her groceries scanned and bagged. 
And I watched her as she stood there and she watched the total as it would come up every time. And when the clerk, and there were two clerks, two young ladies, I assume one to be a trainee, I saw the lady reach into the cart and grab something that had not yet been scanned. And it was a package of the least expensive shower curtain hangers, little metal hangers, cheapest probably you could find in Walmart. And she laid them down, and the clerk scanned them and put them in a bag. Then I watched the lady reach back, and she picked up a a pair of shoestrings and what appeared to be some shoe dye. And she reached around and handed them to the clerk. And the clerk scanned them, and the lady looked at the total and then looked at the clerk and said, no, put them back. I stepped up behind the lady and I addressed the clerk and I said, put her total with mine. The lady looked at me and she said, what? And I looked at the clerk again and I said, put her total with mine. And the lady immediately began to weep. And the clerk said, she had a look on her face that was like, did I hear you right? And I said it the third time, put her total with mine. And the lady by this time is weeping openly. The clerk said, this is kind of like Christmas. (laughs) Her trainee clerk beside her said, I've never seen anything like this before in my life. And the lady said, I've heard of this happening to people, but I never dreamed it would happen to me. And I said, ma'am, you just be blessed by this. She said, you have no idea. You have no idea. As I paid for her groceries and my diet right and my toothpaste, I saw her pushing that cart toward the exit. She turned around and looked, weeping, and I waved and smiled. And she continued to push that cart with her head down, just shaking her head. I'll never see her again. Our paths will never cross again. But I kind of believe this is kind of what he's talking about. We're set before the people for ministry. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he broke them, gave thanks, broke them, gave them to the disciples. 
to set before the people. Heavenly Father, thank you for what we see here. I pray tonight, Father, that we would take this and we would walk out of this tabernacle tonight with a different perception. A different idea, a different viewpoint that we are indeed bread in the hands of Jesus. use us may we not be selfish with what you've done may we see with your eyes may we hear with spiritual ears may we realize that there is a world out there that's truly broken I don't even know how to give an invitation after this sermon. I didn't come with any preconceived idea about what to do at the end of the sermon. My sense is just to let you go. But if God spoke to you tonight and you'd like to spend some time at the altar before you go, why don't you come now? It could be that we've just become desensitized to the world because of all that's going on in the world. My wife and I sometimes will look at what's going on in the world and listen to the news and we'll say, we'll, we're just going to lock the doors of the cottage and stay home for the rest of our lives. There's just so much junk out there. But yet... We're bred. He's done too much for us not to praise Him. If we're really His, we allow Him to break us and shape us, and use us any way He wants to. We allow Him to set us before the people so He can minister to them through us. broken and spilled out. You ever hear that song? Broken and spilled out. It's a beautiful song. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the way that you've met with us tonight. I, this has been, I don't know about anybody else, but it's been a special time for me. For you've been doing things in my life and I could, I just want to thank you. 
I don't want to ever get so insensitive that I fail to realize what we talked about tonight. Bless these precious young people. And whatever they came bringing to this altar to pray about, I pray that you would right now help them in that regard. Thank you for these who've gathered on this Sunday night in the tabernacle. We've got a full week ahead of us. And Lord, we want you to come every night, every morning. Show us things we need to see. Help us implement things we need to put into practice in our lives. Bless us now as we walk out of this place tonight. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed. God bless you. Thank you for coming tonight.